Aloha. Welcome to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we are doing part two of our discussion with Kakua Mao. Now last week we had Hope Young. She was the advanced care planning coordinator talking about the importance of establishing advanced directives and when it's necessary to consider having a pulsed or provider's order for life-sustaining treatment. And now we're going to be talking to the executive director of Kakua Mao, Jeanette Kojane, and she is going to talk with us about the differences in the types of assistance people can get should they have a medical condition that requires some advanced assistance like palliative care, what is concurrent or supportive care, and when should people consider hospice. It's a difficult conversation to have. Often family members are afraid to bring this up, but in fact, having these extra services could make all the difference in the care of loved ones or even ourselves. So thank you for joining me today, Jeanette. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Now, Let's talk about health in general. You know, we all want to stay healthy for as long as possible. And then things happen. Life happens, whether there be accidents or memory issues or cancer diagnoses. Things happen and we wind up in the hospital. And sometimes we are in the hospital with fairly serious, significant conditions. And there's often a discussion that takes place where teams of doctors make it together and say, have we contacted palliative care folks. And patients and family members sometimes think there's a hidden agenda there, but really it's about trying to help someone be more comfortable. What is the myth that people have when they hear the word palliative care? What do they think that means? So people often misunderstand palliative care as being the same as hospice care, and they think it's like a code for, oh, this person's going to die soon. So I think it's really important, and that's why we're really pleased to help get the word out, make raise people's awareness about what palliative care is, because we feel it's a fabulous opportunity to care well for people with serious illness. So Kukua Mao, we're all about how do we care well for people with serious illness. And so we really want people to understand what palliative care is, where can you get it? And um, I, I like how you say that. Let's have people not be afraid of palliative care. It's also really important that people aren't afraid to ask for help. One of the things we see a lot in in Hawaii is that people don't want to ask for help. They think it brings shame on themselves to ask for help. But we need to get people we get need to get people past that. So you're in the hospital. You need some help. That's why you got admitted. And you hear the palliative care. Why would something like that be brought up? And what can a palliative care team actually provide on an inpatient basis when you're in the hospital? We'll talk about other locations in just a minute. Sure. So palliative care is a type of specialized medical care that is brought the, that brings a team to help you and your loved ones. So that team usually is a doctor, nurse, social worker, and a chaplain. And we like to talk about this as an extra layer of support. So when you think of palliative care, you don't lose anything. You're not giving up other doctors. You're not giving up other things. You are adding on to the support that you get. And the good thing about palliative care is that they really help with the suffering and stress of a serious illness. And they really lean into complications that can come up. 
So that can be physical symptoms, so pain. They're usually known as, as experts in pain management. can be other physical symptoms, you know, shortness of breath, for instance. They look at emotional suffering. Uh, they, there's usually a chaplain on the team. Social worker can help with social suffering. This is a whole team that can help. And anybody that's been sick, I think about my mom. My mom had a brain tumor. So what are we doing about my dad? What are the issues that came up? So we, we have to deal with dad and how is he being supported? Uh, the physical symptoms my mom had from dealing with the chemotherapy, oh my goodness, that was a lot that we had to deal with, the nausea, the pain, so that, that symptom management. And then spiritual issues come up. And it's so common in our work. You know, why has God abandoned me? What's happened here? How, why is this happening to me? So the team approach can help the person and also their team. So we always look at, you know, who's important to this person, spouse, kids, best friends. Ohana is the is the key thing. So they're part of the unit of care. So if somebody is suggesting a palliative care consult, that's fabulous. You know, you can find out what they can offer. Usually, though, we're the ones who are, I, we are encouraging people to ask for a palliative care consult. So that's really what we say to people. Oh, if you're, like, if a friend says, oh, you know, somebody's in the hospital, did you ask for a palliative care consult? If it's a more complicated, serious illness situation. Like maybe a cancer diagnosis or a congestive heart failure or advanced COPD. These would be some of the medical conditions that might result in needing that extra support. Um, but also, you know, I guess if you're a family member and or you're the loved one in the hospital and you say, can we have it? And they assess and say, you know what, you might not need us. That's not a bad thing. That Asking is just potentially bringing on this extra team of assistants. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to say, yes, you, you might not need it. It's OK to ask. And it's OK to have them say, bring on the services. And it's also OK to have them say, you know, you're you're doing really good. You're yeah. on the right track. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, but I think usually what we see more of is uh, people, of, I will say, physicians not understanding what mm. palliative care is. So we really want to help people understand, uh, the physicians understand what palliative care can do for people. So and that we have good materials on our website. You can go. We have some new pages that are for, for families and, and patients to understand what palliative care is. And we also have information for providers so they can oh, this is what palliative care is. Well, this is great. I can get, for instance, help with this pain that my that my patient has. Fabulous. Let's bring in the, that extra team. And it's also important to say, you know, that you're, you're not giving anything up. So your existing doctors are now working with this new, with this new team whose specialty is serious illness. And if you don't have advanced directives done, the palliative care team could help you to understand. They could. Well, we talked about last week with Hope Young. What are these directives? What does it mean? How do I know what to do? This is another another opportunity to initiate those conversations. That's right. They they definitely look at advanced care planning, so especially that advanced directive and who is your agent. And then, you know, for a lot of the conversations that we talked about before, what matters to you as you go forward and are making decisions about treatment options, it's really important to understand what does the patient want? What does what's important to the patient? So palliative care is all about communication and listening and taking time to understand what the what the situation is. So that's that's one of the specialties that they have. Now, that's not just available if you're 
in the hospital in the inpatient status. So if you happen to not necessarily get admitted to stay overnight in the hospital, you could still access this on an outpatient basis, meaning through the clinics. Is that right? That's right. So we have some oncology, so cancer outpatient clinics, Queens, Straub, Polymomy. They have that as a as outpatient clinic, so that's an option. So again, you ask your doctor and ask for that consult. Um, and then, you know, here in Hawaii, we really are trying to boost palliative care. Where is it offered? So more inpatient, more outpatient, and then more community-based palliative care. So that really is a, is a place where we see a lot of need, and we want, you know, we really want people to be thinking about that as an option. So what would community-based be? How is that different than outpatient clinic-based? So that would be in the home, primarily. At the moment, it's in the home. We hope that in the future, it could be in other care settings. But at the moment, it's, it's in the home. And we have agencies that provide those services across the island. So all over in Hawaii, you can get that um, in-home palliative care. The challenge we have is that it's really connected to the type of insurance that you have. So if people are listening to this, we hope that we can enlist you in being advocates for more palliative care. So um, HMSA, for instance, they have an excellent benefit that's called supportive care that gives in-home palliative care. So people are encouraged to ask for that. UHA has concurrent care, also an excellent benefit. And now the VA, we actually are the only place in the country that has in-home palliative care through the VA. So that's another one. And I will say other health plans are looking at this, but we really want this extra push because everyone loves palliative care, but we would love some advocacy to, to help get more of it. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show, and I'm having a discussion with Jeanette Kojane, the executive director of org. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what is the difference between palliative care and hospice. When does something turn into a situation where we might need to consider that extra additional support if we are dealing with an end-of-life issue? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Jeanette Kojane from org. She is the executive director and knowledgeable about all things related to palliative care and hospice. And right before the break, we were talking about palliative care, how you can access that if you're in the hospital as an inpatient, if you are in the clinic as an outpatient, or even community-based types of opportunities. And Jeanette, you mentioned that we are one of the only states where the VA provides in-home type of palliative care. We have certain insurers, both HMSA and UHA, that have programs, supportive care, concurrent care, and these are forms of palliative care. That's correct. So again, so palliative care, I'd like that people think about it as an extra layer of support, and it helps to provide the best quality of life possible for people with serious illness. We talked about relief from symptoms, from pain and stress, It's also important to say that palliative care is appropriate really at any age 
and it happens alongside of curative treatment. So that's a really important thing to mem- to talk about. So with cancer, it's it's something that's perhaps easier to understand. If someone is getting chemotherapy to help cure their cancer, they could still be getting palliative care to help with to help with symptoms, for instance, that come up with their treatment. They can still be getting radiation. They can still be getting curative treatments, and then the palliative care team will help with other symptoms or stress or suffering that is going on. So people can get the curative treatment at the same time. And it's a it's a team approach that will come, doctor, nurse, chaplain, social worker, those are usually the key things that bring this extra layer of support. And it's really important also to emphasize the communication to help match what the patient's goals are to what the treatment options are. So palliative care, again, they can, it's, it's really um, emphasizing the quality of life that people have. So it sort of gets back to the discussion we had last week about what's important to you. What are some of the things that you want to be able to continue to do in life? If it's watch your Korean dramas, if it's, you know, watch Netflix, if it's go spend time in the garden, watch my grandkids soccer games, you know, what is important to you? And how can that be made possible as much as possible, while still relieving some of the symptoms? So you mentioned, you can still be getting chemotherapy or curative treatment for your primary illness, and also receive this extra level of care, which might provide some of the benefits you mentioned, social worker, what if there is some issues where you know you have a spouse, and they need some additional support, or also chaplain. And then you also suggested there's a doctor and also a nurse that might be around and involved in providing some of these additional services. So in some cases, it could actually be in the clinic setting, but it could also be done in your own home and to assist with your doctors treating the illness. Right. And so therefore, that's what we like to think of it as this extra layer of support. You're not giving anything up you're actually getting something more. So that's the, you know, the people usually when they hear about it, it's like, wait, what? I get that? It's like the, you know, best care possible. This is the way medical, you know, sometimes people say, that, oh, this is the way medicine should be. And I will say my palliative care colleagues often say, you know, this is, I went into palliative care because we could do those things that I really wanted to do. I can listen to the patient. I can involve the family. We can have a holistic approach. So you use your medical skills. You use the clinical skills that you have for the best quality of life for that person and their loved ones. And it's it's often rather stunning how some sometimes patients aren't involved with conversations. Like we're on a course of action. And we didn't talk to the patients about what they're what are their wishes? What's important to them? Oh, we're going to do all of this. Oh, but that's not going to allow me to see my grandkids' soccer games. Or So it is really, so I think it's important to think about this as specialized medical care. These are people with clinical training that are coming in to help with the person. Yeah, I almost think that the terms that UHA chose with concurrent care, meaning with your current care, or supportive care, meaning in addition, extra support, might be better terms than palliative. <laughs> you know, I think they chose better verbiage for mm-hmm. what they're describing because I think palliative, although to me it says relieve pain, relieve suffering, may make people think it's a little bit more towards hospice. So let's talk about hospice because I think there's also an effort that we've all been trying, particularly as medical providers, to identify those individuals who might benefit from additional assistance as we see them nearing towards end of life. And often there's a difficulty because they may still 
want to be receiving curative treatments. So there's where palliative care comes in. But when it's been determined that despite all of the attempts at curative treatment, there is not going to be a way to cure that illness, whether it be cancer or heart failure or emphysema, COPD, what would be the best way to approach hospice? Because that that's another difficult conversation that I think, you know, once we've overcome the palliative care conversation, now how do we move on to the next level? Right. So it's important to remember that hospice is a kind of palliative care. So you still get the same team approach, this extra layer of support, um, oftentimes one misunderstanding people have is they don't understand that hospice is usually at home. So you can you can uh, stay in your home. Your loved ones can help care for you there. So it's the, as I said, it's this extra, extra layer of support. It's a team that comes in. It manages the symptoms, the pain, the shortness of breath, as well as those emotional and spiritual suffering that people have. So similar to palliative care, there would be a you know, the chaplain is an important part, social worker, nurse, there's a medical director. The difference is that they that in hospice you've given up curative treatments. So we always emphasize we always emphasize comfort anyway, but the emphasis is on the quality of life and and helping people to have the best, you know, the best life possible until the, the end of their until the end of their life. It is not an easy conversation. It's not easy to start these conversations. So people shouldn't think, oh, there's some magic bullet. We can just say A, B, C, D, and it's all done. So we can, you can only hope that the, that the team will be, the medical team can help with the conversations. Um, hopefully people understanding what you get with, with, with hospice will, um, will make a difference. I'll say I've, I've been working in hospice um, and palliative care and serious illness care since uh, the late 80s when I lived in San Francisco in the middle of the AIDS pandemic. I have never had anybody say, oh, I'm so sorry I called hospice. They say across the board, boy, I wish I called earlier. I didn't realize that somebody could come in and help me with all these issues. You know, even when people, people even if people are medical professionals, it is so different when you're caring for your loved one. So there is no shame in asking for extra help. Most of us don't have a lot. You, you have some experience with end-of-life care, but it's usually only a couple of people that they've, they've been through that experience. So why not call the experts in? totally covered by both Medicare and Medicaid. It's, it's a covered benefit. People will come and help you out in this very difficult time. If you don't quite know how to talk about it, you can, so for instance, I encourage people to interview the hospices. You can call them up. They'll, they can, you know, if you call them in the morning, they'd be there in the afternoon. You can either do a Zoom call in the pandemic or, you know, they can come sit on the back porch, tell you what they can offer. And then you see whether or not you want to hire these people to come in and take care of your loved one. And I think that helps take care a lot of the misunderstandings or the fear because you see, wait, these are professionals that can come in and help me. Boy, I need that. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We have Jeanette Kojane from org. She's in the studio. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what does hospice add? What are these extra services that they might explain that they can provide? And how might that be helpful if someone you love is nearing the end of life? We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we have Jeanette Kojain on the in the studio from org. This is part two of our discussion with Mao, and we're talking about what are the differences between palliative care and hospice. And right before the break, we talked a little bit about the difficulty sometimes in initiating the hospice conversation. You recommended people could interview hospice to see what extra services might be available. What are those types of things? We know that the palliative care team might include a chaplain, social worker, nurse, and a physician provider, who's on the hospice team? And are they sometimes the same folks? So we across the islands have, um, so the agencies that provide palliative care, they also are agencies that provide hospice care. And especially here on Oahu, there are, there are separate teams with different trainings and different skills that provide both of those things. I, I, I realized I, I failed to talk about the great palliative care work that's being done on, uh, on the neighbor islands, especially in Hilo. So if people are in Hilo, you should call Hawaii Care Choices because they have not only the, the palliative care that we talked about, but they also have something called Kupu Care, and they ha- which is um, in-home palliative care that's available. And they also have some very innovative pilot programs going. So really shout out to our colleagues in Hilo for doing that. And then, so here on Oahu, we have agencies that provide hospice and they also may have some other services so you can ask um, ask what kind of extra things people have but usually what who is involved would be a nurse medical director social worker chaplain they have CNAs so people can also come in and help with bathing activities of daily living those are things that you want to ask about what is it that you are able to provide and that's part of your interview questions and actually on our website we have like interview questions what to be asking a hospice because again for most people they haven't done it before so it's like buying a used car right you want some help making that happen what questions am I asking to make sure that my loved one is getting the best care possible so there we have you know we have excellent agencies really good compassionate people. I do want to say, though, it's it's important to say hospice is not 24-7 care. Hospice is not going to come in and take care of everything. They are adding on to the support that your, that the loved ones are able to offer, which is also why sometimes people go to a hospice facility because the family, the family can't, can't manage the care anymore. And you know, we you you often have such interesting shows where such amazing, extraordinary things are now quite normal. For a lot of families, it's it's kind of too much to to deal with that. So no shame in asking for help. There are good facilities where people can can get um, can get placement so that their loved one can can have a place to to be that's not in the home. Sure, because there may be other family members who are still working. And nobody's home, and you need to have someone at home if you have a situation like that happening. And then it's not in anyone's best interest to have them home alone for hours at a time. The other thing that happens with hospice is that sometimes when hospice gets involved, everybody gets a chance to sleep. Mm. Everybody is totally sleep deprived, right? And people are nervous. When my mom was in hospice, she had a as she had a brain tumor. It was it was very nerve wracking. Are we supposed to? do this? Is this something we're supposed to call about? What is supposed to happen now? You know, if I sleep, will she wake up? I mean, it's very stressful. So having hospice, when she got into hospice, boy, what a relief for my dad and for, um, 
you know, for us, because we had this extra support. Oh, my gosh, it was so great. This extra support that came, we could sleep, we could do stuff. And so sometimes that people actually get a bit better. Sometimes people live longer on hospice than was anticipated because they they are getting the support that they that they really needed. So what happens if that occurs? What if somebody who <laughs> was on hospice actually starts to improve, whether it be that their their heart failure improves or their maybe their lungs improve or maybe their cancer starts to go into a less aggressive phase? Mm-hmm. Can you ever get kicked out of hospice? Well, we actually call it graduating. Graduate, from not kicked yes. out. Okay, can you yes. graduate from hospice? You, you can. It's not as common. I mean, I think back to your point before. Really, what we see is that people aren't getting into hospice early enough. That's our biggest issue. We want people in earlier. We want the family support. We want people to to be in there. Really, graduation from hospice is rather is rather unique. But what could happen? And it, you know, we talked about before. You need a in order to get into hospice, you need a six month diagnosis from a from a provider. So people could get better. They could after six months be the doctor says, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they died in the next six months. So you can stay into hospice, but they can be more stable. Their pain is more managed. Their symptoms are managed. We have prevent you know the crisis is gone, or we're preventing a crisis. So. I think it's really, you know, for me, it's always get in hospice as early as you can. If you're, again, it's kind, of, it's a, it's a good problem to have that somebody has gotten so much better that they don't need the hospice that anymore. they've graduated. Sure, because I think national statistics suggest that most people, although there is a benefit for up to, you know, up to six months, if not longer, that most people get enrolled very close to when they pass away. So in fact, it's less likely to graduate. It's more likely to have missed an opportunity. You mentioned earlier that nobody ever says, oh, no, they came and made things worse. It's usually, why didn't I sign up earlier? Why didn't I do this earlier? Because I think they provided such additional expertise and somebody to walk you through the process and understand that grieving that we've talked about a couple of weeks ago in another show. So what is the average time? How often do we wait until it's really close to when somebody's unfortunately ready to pass on? So unfortunately, because people don't quite understand what hospice is or they're, they're hesitant to call, uh, the average stay in in Hawaii, we're at, we're at the national average, which is about three weeks. So, but some people are in for five minutes. Some people get a referral, and before the hospice arrives, they've passed away. And you know, it's really a challenge because then the family doesn't have the benefit of that support and also the grief and bereavement. So. You know, for us at Kukuamau, we are all about getting the word out to the community about these different issues. Last week, we talked about advanced care planning. We want uh, we want people to understand what palliative care is, what hospice is. So we actually have a speakers bureau. It's free. Want people to contact us. We will will come to you in Zoom. We do a we do a whole bunch of Zoom trainings. So let you know go to Kukuamau. And we can, uh, you know, start the discussion. We also have a ton of great information on our website. How do I start a conversation about this? How do I talk to people? There is good resources out there. And you may be thinking, oh, my gosh, how do I do this? Good news. We are here. We talk about this all the time. We have an amazing team of volunteers that like to help. Um, the staff is small, uh, but still, we... we uh, we have a lot of good resources, and we really want to be here for our community to help make these conversations 
easier. We want to make these conversations the norm to reduce the stress and suffering that people have with serious illness. Well, and the best way to have that conversation, Jeanette, maybe about 10 years ago, we had that conversation with my dad on live air and gave him no warning. So you got to do better than that. And I'm certain that all of you out there probably will. All right, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That's Jeanette Kojane, the Executive Director of KokuaMau.org. That's K-O-K-U-A-M-A-U dot O-R-G. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on and find our podcast on HawaiiPublicRadio.org. And also, you can find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we will see you next week right here on Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then.